Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 57. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 57. Today I am joined from all the way across the border in New Brunswick, Canada by Blake Towsley, my old friend. How's it going today, Blake? Good. Tim yourself? <laughs> doing pretty good. We're we're doing this via the miracle of modern technology. So we're on a, a Skype call that we're recording, and that's what you people out there in podcast land are hearing. So this is definitely pushing the upward boundaries of my level of comfort with technology. <laughs> I mean, essentially, it's like a phone call Thank over you. the computer, right? But. But still, it's, uh, I don't know, there's lights and things, and usually we do this, it's just like a handheld audio recorder, so these types of things are definitely pushing the boundaries. But anyway, so we are going to talk today about winter travel, winter trips, and winter gear. Um, so Blake, you were out last weekend, first trip of the year in the uh, in the general region like kind of the border region around st croix uh or vanceboro maine st croix river st croix new brunswick is that correct yeah it's uh i'm pretty happy with that area i've been canoeing there a lot exploring it a bunch uh it's uh it's a weird area right now because it's not like northern new brunswick where there's like tons of snow it's kind of exactly like uh my current uh, living place or uh, area of redrickton uh whereas because of the lake uh, systems and whatnot, it doesn't really, the snow doesn't keep very well. Not yet, anyway. And so it's uh, kind of like, yeah, not yet, anyway. Um, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been kind of a shoulder season up to this point. It's finally dropped some good snow and it's getting colder, but uh, generally uh, the winters aren't uh, what I'm used to, so it's kind of a, a growing pain, I guess you could say. But I got doubt, uh, I think the lake's called Mac. Bogan or something close to that? Anyway, it's right attached to the town of uh, McAdams, New Brunswick. Yeah, it's attached by water to Spednick, right? So, you mean, you're in the St. Croix drainage. Yeah. If it was, yeah, if you started walking, you could yeah, be at the ocean exactly. in a couple of days or so. Um, yeah, but just a beautiful area. I've yeah. canoed there a lot. I've never done a winter trip over there, but it seems like, you know, because it's so close to the coast, probably it's a little bit warmer than, than up north and inland. And, you know, where I'm at uh, right now in New Hampshire... We it's been we've got a we've had a few snowstorms, but it's like it definitely feels like a shoulder season. Like the days are above freezing. We're supposed to get some real cold weather this week, but you know, just the winters just keep getting more and more uh, wonky and unpredictable, which is not 
you know, it doesn't bode well for long winter trips. Um, you know, I think it's great to get out for a few days, but like last year uh, and this year coming up, you know, planning two weeks for the Boreal Snowshoe Expedition, it's just, uh, you know, you don't get the long, uninterrupted periods of cold like we used to. Um, the, well, the snow last year, yeah, that, uh, that warm weather come through, it's a real pain in the ass. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's nothing less pleasurable when you're out on living out in the forest in the wintertime on snowshoes than having a big thaw and a rain because it just stops you from being mobile, you know, like you can't travel that day. Everything gets soaked and drips. And I mean, all you can really do during those bouts of bad weather is just hang out and, you know, tell jokes, read books, have big fires and eat because you can't really travel. You know, the it's just hard. So hopefully... Um, it's definitely hard on the gear everything gets beat up but so hopefully you know we get into early january is always kind of like that though but hopefully we get into late january and february um and we get a change uh because anyway i'm planning uh like four and a half five weeks on the trail this winter so you know hopefully uh i can look forward to deep snow and and deep constant cold right but Anyway, so you didn't have that when yeah. you were out. So is that uh, did you call your call your trip a little short as a result? Uh, not really. I called it kind of short because I got the pin for my ice auger and uh, didn't really have too much to do except for read. Um, I was just boiling, <laughs> boiling snow. You know, one of those situations. I could have chopped through it with an axe, but I wasn't that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ambitious. Yeah. Um, so no I, auger. I, that's hard. Out there, uh, melting snow, water. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know. I, there was there was ice. The lake was open. There was lots of open water, but uh, there was no snow in the forest either. So I had to set up on the ice, and then having a tent on the ice for over like a day or two, everything starts to turn into a puddle, and it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. So I just got up one morning, and like I knew the temperature was just rising to like above zero, and I was just like, ah, I'll just get out of here now in case the lake opens up. And then I was planning on going back with my girlfriend, but the temperatures just rose too high, and it's like I'm not going to go hang around in a sloppy mess. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, warm weather, winter camping, hard. And, you know, unless there's no snow and you're just, like, camping like you would in the summertime, then it's no big deal. But, you know, trying yeah, to haul I, gear on sleds and all that and snowshoes, it's a disaster with warmth. <coughs> so you are going to, uh, it's awesome that you're getting out. One of the, last year we had the pleasure to spend two weeks on the winter trail together on the Boreal Snowshoe Expedition. And this year you are joining us for our trip north to Uje Bugamu in northern Quebec. So we're excited about that, and hopefully uh, that's pretty far north. So hopefully they have some good, consistent cold weather in early March. I can't imagine they won't. Um, but, you know, any, anything can happen these days. And, and I know that you are planning with a couple other guys to do a second trip when we're up there in Le Nord de Quebec. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that trip. Yeah, so, well... We're going to go up and hang out with you and uh, the Cree and kind of hang out and see what they're doing for, you know, what is it, 10 days, 8 days, something like that? 8 days. Anyway, eight, after yeah. that, uh, there's a couple of us that's still open to whoever really wants to come. But at this point, I believe it's myself, Dragon, and Colin are going to, since we're already up there and, you know, probably not going to get too many chances to go winter camping in Lake Mistassini area. So we decided to take take the opportunity since we're up there and uh, head off on trail for about two weeks. That's awesome. So a real 
uh, you know, to to use the term, a real full tang expedition. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it's another full tang expedition. There's a couple invites that have gone out to. Obviously, uh, we talked to Christopher because he might be able to make it, so that'd be excellent if he could. I've been talking to a guy from uh, Ontario who seems interested, Scotty Matthews. Uh, it's pretty much, uh, you know, we'd like uh, people to have some experience because, you know, don't just want people, you know, not knowing how to tie a knot. And, you know, well, as long as they're eager, I guess it wouldn't really matter. But it, it's just kind of a get-together, a full-tang expedition, like we were saying. I uh, don't have to have uh, a ton of experience, but you should probably be a woodsman to some extent, at least have done it before and have your own gear because we're not supplying any. Yeah, but I mean, you don't want to be out there with somebody totally green and have them like drive an axe into their leg and then, you know. Oh, definitely not. Like definitely not. It's, it, it's kind over. of uh, uh, within a circle of uh, people that we know that uh, invites come out. We haven't talked uh, about uh, or to any other uh, members that are heading up to uh, the Cree trip. So I'm not too sure if anybody from that wants to accompany us on the two weeks after, but uh, we'd probably be open to it if we had the supplies. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll. I'm sure we'll have time to uh, to talk about all that. There'll be some long nights up there, awesome nights. Uh, but yeah, it's still uh, maybe pick up one or two more. But that's great. I love to hear of people getting out and doing it right. And I think that's uh, just that whole like idea, the whole full tang expedition idea that we kind of impromptu came up with last year on that uh, awesome Bonaventure <laughs> trip, right? Just just a great idea. I think it's super important for people to get out and do stuff. Yeah, excellent. Like, we're just going to, we're not going to take it, uh, you know, we're not going to, like, push ourselves too much. Like, we're not trying to, like, get to one end of the lake and back within the two weeks. We're probably just going to take off, not too far, look for good fish and see if we can snare some rabbits. Just, you know, just kind of like bush living. Yeah, no, and I think that's the uh, that's the goal, right? That's the point. I mean, the I think the point of doing a lot of the instructional programs is to get to the point in your personal uh, skill development where you're just comfortable going off and doing that and having those experiences. Because I think that you know everybody talks a big thing about skill this and skill that, and you know knowing how to do X, Y, and Z. But at the end of the day, it's the experience of being out and doing it that makes it worthwhile. Because otherwise, well, if it's if it's just skill after skill and trying to collect them all, you know, it's like a freaking Pokemon game where you're collecting them all, right? You know, it's 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 funny, like, um, that whole mindset of, like, oh, I've got to learn, you know, I've got to be able to brain tan, I've got to be able to, like, whittle wood, you know, I've got to be the best axeman, I've got to be, like, you know, making clothes, like, that's why I, like, lived in, like, you know, communities, because not everybody can be the best at everything, and you can't have all the skill, right? It's very hard to... Uh, so like this whole, like trying to like encompass everything under like in the self-reliance world by yourself, it's kind of, you know, it's better with a little group, you know, somebody's better at this, you're better at that, blah, blah, hang out in the bush, see how it goes, learn a bit from each other. Not so much of uh, Rambo trying to take on the forest plan itself. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly because it, I mean, that's what makes it fun too, right? Like if we went out camping and I had to bake bread for 10 people every day, for three weeks, I would hate it. But, it, you know, if you take turns and spread out the workload, then it's still fun again. Um, and I think that's kind of a metaphor for the whole for the whole thing, that if you have to, you know, if every moment that you're awake, you're constantly striving, like, I've got to get this done, I've got to get that done, then there's no time for laughing or fishing or, you know, just enjoying the natural world. And I think that's such a huge part of living out 
and living rough on the trail for any length of time is just the appreciation of the lifestyle. And I think that gets lost in this mania of skill development. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, uh, winter camping is kind of like a team sport. It's hard to do it by yourself, like with tent set up and food preparation and wood cutting. You know, it's, it, it, I find anyway, I think it's, it's way better in a group than by yourself. You can do it by yourself, but, you know, you're not taking big, long expeditions by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Yeah, the workload's like never ending. At, at the Snowwalkers a, a number of years ago, there's a really awesome, super knowledgeable guy from Ontario. I don't know if he, have you ever run into Craig McDonald in your travels? I was actually I was uh, reading about him today through uh, that uh, book that I just got. Okay, yeah, but uh, super knowledgeable guy, like tons and tons of experience. And he was talking about a solo trip that he did. I think from he lives like right outside Algonquin Park, and he was talking about a solo trip he did years ago from one end of uh, Algonquin to the other. And, you know, and, and essentially he basically reinforced what we've been talking about. Like, yeah, it's hard doing everything yourself. Like there, there's barely enough hours of daylight in the wintertime to get everything done mm-hmm. that you need to do, and let alone if you're traveling and moving camp and stuff, right? So it just, exactly. yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it can definitely be done, um, but it's not something that's like you would choose to go do for the sake of pleasure, uh, you know, just no. to do a solo trip. If you can, like solo winter camping is okay, you know, walk out to wherever, you know, 5K away, set up camp and just stay out there static and fish and do whatever. That's one thing, but to, like try to move continuously on a day-to-day basis and try to cover ground, so, you know, you better have a high amount of calories with you because you're just going to work yourself into the ground. Right, and like it's just, I mean, I can see like you're at a remote cabin and it burns down and you got to make it somewhere else. Yeah, like there's a good motivator, but, you know, to to just go and and move camp every day it's just it's just non-stop work which you know there's nothing wrong with a little hard work i don't think anybody who does any traditional winter camping would shy away from hard work but but you know just the idea that it's never ending is just doesn't sound it's not it's not my idea of a good time right <laughs> well just like get enough wood for yourself for a day you know what i mean if you know if there's adequate supply of dead standing around you know you've probably got two or three hours of bucking up wood to get it into your stove by yourself if you want to stay static for a day or two yeah. at least then you got the hours yeah. like putting up the tent then you got to get water and either boil it or melt the snow and then cook you know it's it's a big workload for one person yeah i mean i think the uh maybe the non-traditional winter camping would be the way to go in that instance i just saw a thing there was a young guy who was the first guy to uh walk across antarctica unsupported <laughs> Obviously, he's not cutting any wood there, but because there isn't any. But oh. you know that it just—I don't. What was it? Nine hundred miles, eight hundred miles, just dragging a sled. Like, man, I bet that wasn't. A, I bet that wasn't a big party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Being alone by yourself for that long would just kind of like just eat away at me. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, like, what's that? Just I don't know, like that whole like. Uh, you know, people like, well, reality TV shows are like the survivalist mentality of like running off into the forest by yourself for like extended periods of time. Yeah. Like it has yeah. like, I have no ambition to ever go towards that because it probably just end up going insane. It, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again publicly. It takes a special kind of weirdo to be like happy and content living all by themselves, especially out in a remote environment and especially in the wintertime, right? 
Like, I love doing solo trips and stuff with all paddle and fish. And, you know, it's just nice to go and enjoy the quiet of nature. But for, a, you know, the yeah. guys who want to do it for, you know, like Dick Prennicky going and living out in that Twin Lakes, exactly. Alaska for 40 years. Like, wow, that, you know, it's psychologically, that's a rough road to walk. Anyway. Yeah, it's done. Not, not not too many people could do it. I don't think anyway. No, but it is it it is weird that it's so glorified in the sort of self reliance yeah. culture of you know like you you're nothing if you haven't like spent a winter by yourself in some remote trapper's cabin <laughs> somewhere like that just sounds awful. To me. Like a- so yeah, so other thing I wanted to quickly talk about is that you are making a name for yourself in making uh, traditional outdoor gear. Um, so. I know you've sewn a top bag for me out of canvas. You're making canoe packs. So can you tell me how you got into to doing that and where that's headed? Well, I don't really know where it's headed right now. Uh, basically, I just started getting into it because I just wanted to make my own stuff. This whole uh, practice, not purchase thing that we uh, actually was born on that expedition with you. Um, and uh, so I just started making stuff on my own. And then obviously, I'm kind of under the belief that you got to make like 10 of something before it's any good. And so, you know, I was like making knives and uh, belts, you know, and just kind of like giving them away to my friends and whoever and whoever would have it, family. And then I started like making top bags and uh, so what's just for the for the listening audience? What's a top bag? I know what it is, but nobody else does probably. It's just kind of like a, a bag that fits on top of your toboggan that uh, has easily accessible gear. In it, I guess would be the best way to describe it. It's kind of like a duffel bag that straps to your toboggan. Right. Yeah. Perfect. A great example. And uh, you know, I have had a top bag for a while now, and I remember before having a top bag and watching other people who don't have top bags. There's all sorts of like random little day packs and other pieces of crap kind of lashed to the top of a toboggan. And when you're hauling all day, it, it's just an exercise. And oh something my mittens fell off again oh my day pack fell off again oh this fell off again so it's a great great piece of kit to to kind of store all those little things that you you sort of need throughout the day but not constantly um so it's definitely you don't definitely need it to go out in the bush like winter camping but it does make things a lot more convenient oh so much more convenient uh i would agree wholeheartedly because i you know i did for for 15 years i never had one and you you develop your own uh you know ways that you manage your stuff but man it's just such a great such a great piece of kit to to manage those little things throughout the day yeah definitely definitely i've uh, really been so anyway i started building them for myself i built like one and then obviously the main contributor to me building more was dragon because he was just like i want one build me one and then you're just like build more for me and i want to try to sell some of these for you and so on and so on and then met up with you and you wanted one out of canvas and then they're just like the little um what critiques that you guys were doing to it kind of like led to where it's at now with uh, the development of what it looks like so that's kind of where we're at now, and I'm just kind of putting them together piece by piece, uh, one at a time, maybe sets of three at a time, and uh, they seem to be selling pretty good. Not too many people have them, but it's more of a test year right now, and uh, I'll see how it goes, and if there's uh, you know a market for it, then I'll continue doing it occasionally. I'd, you know, I've got a full-time job, so I don't necessarily need two, uh, but I do enjoy doing it in my spare time, and on uh, you know, especially with these long sh- shoulder seasons on the East Coast. So it's uh, 
I'm pretty happy with the product too. There's a few woodsmen that have them that are going to give me feedback over the winter and uh, maybe we'll go full bore with it next uh, fall, winter. Nice. And and uh, you just made a, like a, a canoe pack. I don't know if they, are they a woods pack in Canada or I know they call them Duluth packs in the States. Not, not specific to that company, but specific to that style of sort of just big canvas yeah, canoe I mean, pack. I think, I think it's just canvas canoe pack or a canoe pack, portage pack. But uh, yeah, well, I built that original one with uh, no skill whatsoever in sewing or knowledge of how to build it. But I just uh, basically in uh, Song of the Paddle, Bill Mason just talks about his, I think it's the Woods 200 pack that he uses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just kind of, you know, uh, didn't really want to pay $300, $400 for one. So I just like, ah, some guy gave me some canvas that I bought some uh, paddles off. And so I decided to make my own and then. Once I started working with a little bit of leather and understanding more uh, how to sew properly and properly working with leather and whatnot, and I gave it another go putting it together, and it kind of pretty much looks exactly like uh, a Woods 200 pack at nice. this moment, uh, nice. out of 15-ounce canvas and uh, heavy uh, veg tan leather. It, uh, I'm pretty content with it. I kind of want to get out uh, back on the water pretty soon, but it might be a little while before that happens. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, they, they look real pretty. I've only seen the, that pack. Well, your original pack, I know intimately well, cause it rode in my canoe on the Bonaventure. So I had, yeah, exactly. what did that thing weigh? It must've weighed like, I picked it up every time. It must've weighed like 500 pounds by the end of the trip. I think it was like 30. <laughs> You're just a weak man. <laughs> I am definitely weak, uh, intellectually, morally, and physically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was like, uh. Kind of like, uh, well, the, obviously it was the first one, like the prototype, but I was, you know, that uh, kind of, it took a shit kicking over the summer, like from the Bonaventure and all the canoe trips that I've done, like I hauled out a black bear in it, like without, uh, I just gutted the thing and then threw it in and hauled it out. It wasn't a very big black bear, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it was still pretty heavy to pump that out, but it it's held up quite fine, so I've been pretty impressed with the whole design of it, so just yeah. to make it you should sure, you should call uh, yeah. that uh, model the Black Bear Pack, and then you know when you advertise it, have pictures of the bear carcass in it. <laughs> Definitely, over well, everyone loves a good dead bear picture. Yeah, uh, well, I think they're happier if the bear if the bear is on your back. I think people are happier if it's dead than if it's alive. It's a lot less uh, <laughs> bad. It's better for you in that instance. It's true. It could maybe come like uh, Russians have a lot of pet bears, or so I'm making up right now. And I feel that maybe this pack, you know, like how people carry their cats or the little dogs and purses, maybe this will be the next thing in Russia, and that's how I'm going to make my millions. That'd be great if you could get like a few social media stars to uh, carry like bear cubs around in them. I think that would be huge. <laughs> Even like full size ones. Yeah, they would. Well, a full size social media star or a full size bear. Well, I'd like. A full-size social media star carrying around a full-size bear. Yeah. They would have to be pretty rugged, like, social media star, because bears get pretty big. But, you know. Well, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> have, uh, have you decided on uh, if there will be a Liberty Cabbage uh, competition at Brushfire this year? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for... for so, uh... For those of you out in podcast land, we are going to plan on a fall rendezvous at the field school. And uh, as Blake mentioned, we are going to have several food-based competitions. And one will be the Liberty Cabbage, which is what they, was it World War II, what they called sauerkraut? World War I. World War I. Yeah, World War I. 
Um, yeah, I actually put up a quart of kraut today, and uh, uh, so if you're planning, if you're interested in, in attending the brush fire rendezvous, you know, get your uh, foodstuffs in order because there will be fabulous prizes. They're they're as yet unnamed, but they will definitely be fabulous. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> have uh, have, have the, the judges been picked yet? Uh, you know, we're talking with a lot of people from the Food Network, um, <laughs> but no, they haven't been picked. <laughs> I heard Bobby Flay was thinking about making an appearance. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really like, um, I really, I don't really enjoy any of the Food Network star celebrities, so I think that might be out of character, but if they do show <laughs> up, though, we will allow them to judge at least one food-based com- uh, uh, contest. And uh, did you say when that was going to be? Um, yeah. Actually, I have it. Uh, if you give me a second, I can find the dates. Um, but on every page of our website, at the bottom, we've got a link to the Jack Mountain Master Calendar. And that's every scheduled program that we have. And we're usually scheduled a year out. So that's going to be the 10th, I'm sorry, the 11th, 12th, and 13th of October, 2019, in Masardis, Maine, the Brush Fire Rendezvous. And that's going to be at the very end of the fall semester. Um, So the fall semester will end on, like, Friday morning. We'll have the three-day rendezvous. And then we're taking a group. As of right now, it's the only trip, but we're trying to get a few other trips lined up for that following week of of October 14th to 18th. But I'm taking a group when we're going to do a canoe polling and outdoor guiding masterclass on the St. Croix River, uh, basically designed for working guides. So people who are already taking people out, whatever. And it's pretty cool. It's right in the region where you were um, last week on your winter trip. So we're excited about that. It's a fantastic river for learning how to do uh, fast water, white water polling. You know, nothing too crazy. There's one good section at Little Falls that's a class three with some ledges that, uh, you know, if you have some experience, you can pull up and down. Um, But just lots of great, um, pretty easy rapids that are fantastic for really nailing in uh, white water polling. So we're going to offer that class right after. With the idea, sort of that idea of like the full tang expedition that we didn't want to do yeah, like exactly. a rendezvous where we're just sitting around being lazy all week and like eating cabbage and, you know, whatever else, making donuts. <laughs> but there will be a lot of donuts. sitting around and eating cabbage. Yeah, of course there will. Yeah. But but that won't be the only thing that we're doing. Yeah, exactly. we got to put some physical activity into it too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I'm looking, I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm... Uh, can't wait to you know just because we're not uh, we're not gonna be like doing the whole Saint Croix. It's only gonna be like a small section, and we're just gonna really be uh, <laughs> basically a, a polling seminar for what five six days? Uh, five days. Yeah, it's about eighteen miles from from the from where the Headwater Lakes end down to Loon Bay, and that section is just about continuous. Uh, pretty easy rapids, pretty easy whitewater, some great campsites. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna. It's going to be a great trip. I've done that trip numerous times, um, taught a lot of people how to pole there. And we love that trip, especially in the fall, because they drop the headwater lakes, uh, they drop the volume so people can fix their docks and stuff. So it's, it's, you can count on the water being in the river there in the fall, which most places you can't. Yeah, and it, just like uh, that whole area, just like the rockiness of uh, 
rockiness in the what am I talking about here? It doesn't really even make sense. Uh, <laughs> just like the landscape in that particular area of the province, and I guess in Maine too. Uh, it's just beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's stunning. If you haven't ever been on the St. Croix, you should put it on your bucket list if you're in the Northeast, either whatever side of the border you're on. And the river is the border, so we have to we have to play nice with the the border guys. You know, you you, you have to stay on one side of the river the whole trip. You yeah. can't camp on either side, but it, it's not that big of a deal. There's great campsites on both sides. So, uh, but it is a beautiful stretch of water, um, and. Uh, you know, usually still swimmable that time of year. So if you take an unplanned dunk, it's not that big of a deal. Would uh, Would you have any issues uh, if uh, like if we met up on Spednik at like let's say the ledge? Would uh, that be an issue for you because you don't have your passport, or would you bring your passport with you? We would have to legally. We would have to go in, cross the border, check in uh, on the Canadian side, and then paddle out to the ledge, stay on the Canadian side, and then come back and cross the border. They don't they don't allow you to cross the border, like, on your own whim. It's all got to be, like, official. So it's, I mean, it's a little silly, but I guess that's the world we live in. Yeah, I've never camped on uh, what would be the west side of the lake, the American side. Yeah, I think all the good campsites of the on the lake, anyway, are definitely on the Canadian side. So, but on the river, once They're you get... They're islands, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So... I don't know about the legality of that. You know what I mean? It is on water. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, essentially, I think the only way to do it and not worry about the legality is to sit down at the border with a map and say, we're going to go here, here, here. What do we need to do? And otherwise, you know, you just don't want – I mean, those guys take their jobs pretty seriously and for good reason. You don't want them showing up in the middle of the night because you're on the wrong side of an island or something. So <laughs> it's just a good idea to figure it out beforehand, right, not to, not to uh, get them all wound up. Yeah. But the, once, you, plan. once you get down onto the river, there's great campsites on both sides of the river all the way down, so it's it's no big deal. So we yeah, just well, have I'm to, looking forward to it anyway. Yeah, I think Dragon's coming down first, so he says. Yeah, I don't know who else, but it'd be good to see all the guys uh, associated with Jack Mountain. Yeah, definitely, and it'll be great to uh, you know graduate a bunch of people through the polling curriculum. Um, you know, to the point where they're comfortable getting out and teaching it as well. And that, that that's kind of the point of the week is I know people will have kind of dabbled with it, but to get them, you know, work with, we've got a, a formal curriculum that we teach to work people through all of the different drills and maneuvers and get people to where they can, you know, replicate all the maneuvers. And I think that's, that's the point where they're qualified and capable to go out and teach themselves. And that's, you know, the point of the, the point of the week, the point of the, of the course is to get people to that level to that stage so yeah it's uh and uh you do that do you do that very well at your school that's for sure well yeah hopefully we're i mean after 20 years hopefully we figured out a few things <laughs> i mean i'm i'm slow but i'm i might be slow but i'm weak right that's what i that's what i say <laughs> oh too oh um i was i was talking with jeff and uh he gave me an idea he says uh Little, good little trippy up to Kennedy Lakes here. So I guess it's really cold there. It's got a lot of snow. It's about a 5K uh, march in. So that might be up in uh, up in the plans for January when I got a couple extra days. Need more than a weekend, though, I think, for that. Because by the time you walk in there, you know, it'll be dark. If you're just showing up after work on a Friday, it'll probably be dark before you even left. Yeah. Uh, the issue with uh, not this time of the year, right? I think sun sets around quarter to four here. So it must be even worse for everyone north of this point. 
Yeah, that's the beauty oh. of uh, late season winter trips. Like I, I always, I mean, I always think of February and early March as the winter tripping season. And you know, I think if I lived further north, where it was consistently cold through December and early January, it'd be different. But in addition to the consistent cold and the thicker ice, you also get those longer days, which make it, which make it great. I mean, that's yeah. the... Uh, well, it's for, nice to have more than four hours of daylight. Yeah, for sure. We used to do our winter trips up to UJ in uh, January. And now we're... This year, we're moving to early March, and it's, it's just a great time to be out. Yeah, March is a nice time around that uh, that latitude. Is it latitude or longitude? Latitude. What am I saying here? Latitude. Latitude. That's, I was right the first time. Shouldn't have second-guessed myself. Well, listen, I'm gonna, let's wrap this thing up. Um, thank you very much, Blake, for the time, for sitting down and, and having Thanks, this chat. Um, and look forward to seeing you before too long. And if anybody has questions about the gear, how can people find out about the gear that you're making? Uh, they can email me at uh, snowshoeclubrevival at gmail.com. Or I do have an Instagram page, uh, Le Club de Raquette de SRF. And, uh, yeah, they can find me through that way. Pretty sure you'll uh, hook it up in the show notes anyway. So if they're listening to this, they, all they have to do is uh, go to that, and we'll be able to find it. Perfect. All right, man. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this, and look forward to seeing you soon, and enjoy your time out. Thanks a lot, Tim. Good talking to you. Yeah, you too. We'll see ya. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.